0: Hello, and welcome to Literacy Landscapes. I'm your host, Johanna. On Literacy Landscapes, we re-examine literacy theory and watch it in action today. We'll give you an inside look into the classroom and take you outside to where play and practice meet. Literacy, and more generally language, is connected to everything we do. As a former New York City teacher, school and district administrator, and pre and in-service teacher educator, I can tell you that there is language in the field of education and in every field. My dissertation studies only enhanced my interest in discipline-specific literacies. I'm interested in unpacking the domain-specific terminology and in understanding the language of art, music, creativity, and the writing process. This is my first episode since coming down with a serious case of laryngitis. I'm on the mend, but as you will hear, my voice isn't completely back yet, and I appreciate your support and patience but I'm really excited about this episode and have some really exciting future episodes lined up too. So have you ever had an idea for a children's book, but didn't know where to start or writing in general? Stay tuned for some insightful and actionable tips and inspiration that'll get you started on your writing journey welcome kimberly marcus it is such a pleasure and an honor i am so excited to have you on you are my first guest since i lost my voice and i'm bringing this podcast back it's been a a minute kimberly marcus is an incredibly accomplished educator and a children's book author. And I can't wait to talk about your new book that's coming out, Frankenstein's Matza. But before I do that, I'd love to, to turn it over to you. Uh, please feel share share a little bit about yourself. What would you like the audience to know about you?
1: Well, thank you so much. I'm honored to be on. I love your podcast, and I feel very humbled to be amongst your guests. My book is coming out. It's publishing January 16th. So that's been my focus right now. And that's probably the main thing that I want people to know that I'm I'm really focused on that.
0: Great. Yeah. And we're going to talk about that book because I really, I read it more than once. I <laughs> truly enjoyed it. I don't want any spoilers, so I'm not going to spoil it for the <laughs> audience, but there are some great aspects about it that I really would love to unpack and talk about because there are some really exciting aspects to it. But before I do that, I always ask my guests about a favorite children's book. And it can be tough for readers and writers like us, because I have like 800 favorite children's books, but I was always enamored with Shel Silverstein, like The Giving Tree. Is there a favorite children's book that that you feel inspires you today?
1: You know, full disclosure. I I did a deep dive into the books that I read when I was a child, and I there were some that I completely had forgotten that I had read. Which is so it's really been amazing to go back and look. And I googled like books from the '60s and and that kind of stuff. But you know, it's interesting because you know there I, I was a so you're a reader at different ages, right? So there's your beginning, there's your middle, there's your adult you know, later teens, adult. So in the in the beginning of my reading, I loved the comic section of the newspaper. That was just, you know, there was the comic section that came for kids and it was all in color. And I remember reading with my papa, um, he loved Hagar the Horrible and we, you know, he would read me the comics. And so that was a very big part of my reading experience. I loved Peanuts and Archie's comics, of course. And Aesop's Fables. So that was kind of my oh and and Babar. And then for my middle, that just glorious reading time where everything is new and you're exposed to all of this, these different worlds. I, I'm gonna have to say Anne of Green Gables has my heart. I love that book. And same. Yeah. <laughs> you yes. know, I actually reread it about a year ago, and you know what? It held up. It just it, it I can't say enough about that book. And, you know, I love like Charlotte's Web, of course, Black Beauty, Island of the Blue Dolphins. I was also really, really, really into horses. I was a horseback rider. I loved animals for a very long time, wanted to be a veterinarian. So I was always reading nonfiction and I was diagramming the bodies of the animals and labeling. And, you know, I was a weird little kid and I would bring my stuff into my teachers at school and I would say like, this would be a really great project for the class to do. (laughs) So, and then in my, you know, later teens, probably from 14 on, maybe a little earlier, Nancy Drew, the Hardy Boys, loved all those mysteries. Secret Garden, of course. I mean, And then, you know, I moved into Ursula Le Guin, Madeline Engel and Stephen King, Judy Bloom, of course, but Stephen King, who is like, I consider a comfort read because I've been reading him probably since I'm 12. So it's literally my entire life of reading him. And and I feel like in reading his work has somehow modified my brain to just click in when I'm reading a book and it's just like, he's telling me a story. So I'm nodding my head because I feel like we have
0: a lot in common. I also <laughs> loved Anna green Gables and read also the Emily series from Ellen Montgomery mm. and yeah, Emily of new moon. And I still have this dream of going to Prince Edward Island. I have never been, but like, I, I like, Yes. I'm very much shaped by Anne of Green Gables and all of all, all of those books. But it, it's funny because I've started a little hobby of mine where I create, there's a genre of journaling called junk journaling, where you use recycled materials and papers to create handmade journals. Yeah. And I've been making them, it's at, literally, we didn't have this conversation before, but I've been making them out of Hardy Boys, Judy oh, Blue, wow. like as we're sitting here, <laughs> and oh Nancy Drew.
1: <laughs> wow, that's
0: so, so cool! I know. So we definitely have a lot in common. I have to be honest. I didn't. I didn't know that
1: we had so much in terms of our literary tastes. Anna Green Gables, so much that when I was in college, I dyed my hair or auburn. Oh! Yeah. Let it. me tell you, it did not look good, so I ended up cutting my hair really short. But yeah, I mean, she really just—I—I I think, I think for me, it was, you know, that escape. Like I wanted to escape my life, um, and. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Like her getting adopted. I was like, (laughs) maybe my parents, my real parents will come and adopt me or, you know, I mean, we all, we all, the grass is always greener. Right. Um, Yeah. Just, and, and and it, I don't know. There was just magic in that story for me, Mm -hmm. you know, just a magical world. Yeah. Yeah. I love, I just, you know, that reading time in my life and I'm sure other, you know, the, that kind of middle grade it's, it's a magical reading time. It really is
0: it is. And one of my interviews was with a um, librarian who's been making waves, actually, it was just featured in The New York Times, Michael Threats. Um, I feel like I knew him when. And he, you know, he made this really beautiful point about how books can be therapeutic. They can serve as a resource They can serve so many purposes. And I agree with you, for me, I was a very shy little girl. And I happened to go to lots of different elementary schools, so I felt like I was always making new friends. Yeah, I went to four elementary schools, and that was a lot.
1: (laughs) I went to, wait, uh, one, two, three, four, I think I went to six.
0: Whoa, so you get it. Like, I always had to make new friends. Mm -hmm. The books were Mm -hmm. always there, right?
1: Yeah. I yeah. I know. I just heard this, this term, like I always consider myself a bookworm and mm-hmm. I just heard this term called a book dragon. That's, oh. where, that's where you have books and you hoard them. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I might I, be a, book- I a bookworm and a book dragon because I just have books or, you know, I have so many books around me that I haven't read yet, but it's just comfort. I mean, I yes. just feel like I'm home when I'm around books.
0: Same, same, same. Yeah, I have piles of books all around me right now as we... And they're not all like, now that I'm done with my doctorate, like I can do a little bit more leisure reading, right? So it's like all of these books that I've wanted to read for a long time. So yeah, I'm very excited to to get into some reading that I've wanted to do for a long time. And, and also excited that I get to interview people like you and read really awesome children's books. Thank you. So Thank you. yeah, I mean... I, I, it just, there are so many cool things about your book. <laughs> and I don't want to give away too much of it because people are just going to have to go out and buy it. And I will link your, you know, your website and all of your socials in the show notes. But I would love to talk about your inspiration for writing this book. So walk us through Frankenstein's Matzah, your why, how you got there. And then I'll tell you, uh, and then, and then I'll tell you about how much I love it. <laughs> okay, sounds
1: thank good. You. that sounds <laughs> great. So I actually went through a timeline of my thought processes about this book, but um, I'm Jewish and I, w- I was raised with a strong Jewish identity, but not a school background in it. I was bat mitz <laughs> I was bat mitzved when I was an adult, a little before my son's bar mitzvah. And so I came to Judaism practice as an adult really through my son. And um when he was four we started a program at our local JCC called um, My Havara, and it was an introduction for, you know, little children and, and their adults um, about Judaism. And we started, you know, lighting the Shabbat candles. And and so subsequently, you know, I, I I started learning about the religion, and we joined our local synagogue. And so when I really started seriously writing, a lot of my thought process was like, how can I integrate Judaism into my writing, and also, I, you know, I like to have fun and make jokes. So I, I, I felt like at the time that I started writing, which was about you know 15 years ago, seriously, I didn't feel like there were like funny Jewish kids' books out there, and there's a lot of serious stuff, and I thought like, mm, like why. <laughs> there's a long line of laughter. Good point. Yes, Yes. there is joy. There's a lot of joy. And I I felt like that was missing. So um, at the time that I wrote this draft, which was in 2018, Passover was around a little before that. And so I probably had that in my mind. And I'm not quite sure how I came upon you know, bringing a matzah to life. But my original character's last name was Mazastein. so I had the Frankenstein connection in there. But I was like beating—I—I I wasn't coming at it directly. And—and and I think back on that now, and I think like that kind of was like my personality. I was a photographer in a previous life, and I was behind the camera. I never really was someone who wanted to be in front, right? So I was coming at it around the side and then I let it sit for like eight months and then I started playing around with it. And I listened to a podcast in like March of 2019 from the New York Public Library called Frankenstein, Our Dark Mirror. And it was all about how Frankenstein was such an embedded part of our culture. And I remember listening to that and I was like, I want to be a part of that. And I thought it was after that, that I um, just said, you know what, I'm just going to come out at full force front and center. And I changed the name of my character to Frankenstein. And I just, and I just bought into the whole cultural aspect of that. And I thought I'm, I'm just going for it. And it's really like interesting in my writing process. I, I, I have a long writing process I maybe I don't know compared to others but but I find that I have to kind of gentle my way into what I'm writing until I can finally get to the point where I'm like aggravated with myself and I'm like I just need to say this right out so but that's my process and I'm and I have to accept that and honor that in myself too.
0: I love it, and yeah, Frank. Everyone knows about Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, right? Mm -hmm. It's it's a there's like a universal aspect to it, and to be able to have a different take on it, to make a parody, to to take it in a completely different direction, also just is so creative and really, I enjoyed that aspect of it, Mm -hmm. and I appreciate the fact that you're like I took eight months to think about this, I reworked it, I you know, and I think there is a miss sometimes people think that oh a children's book it's shorter therefore it's easier to write and quicker to write and i would argue it might be the opposite you have mm-hmm. it's so much more concise it's so much shorter and there are so many other aspects to consider developmental levels of the readers and the messaging it's actually quite complex
1: mm-hmm. and time-consuming, right? Yes, it is. I mean, in this particular book, there are a lot of layers to it. One of them is the science aspect. I love science in, in a parallel universe. There's a scientist, Kimberly Marcus, out there. And I love biology, the natural world. I'm always reading about science. So I really try and integrate that into all of my stories if I can. And that's also another um area that there's it in some when you think about science and kids learning science it sometimes it doesn't seem like it's that much fun so I wanted to bring that joyful fun easy you know science experiments into the book And, and my publisher who is also my editor was very very open to that and encouraging and we went through you know iterations of what type of experiments and how to to bring them in because they're they are um during the seder um, <clears throat> super Seder science. And yes. so, so that, that's one layer. And then also the other piece of that is when you're looking for uh, looking at teachers, possibly using the book in their classroom, even though it's not nonfiction, does it align with the curriculum standards? Right. right? So can my book fit in with a K to K through three standard, which, which again, can, you know, I looked at that. So, um, so yeah there there's that one piece of it there's the jewish piece of it um because it's set during passover um my editor um was had has more um lived experience um with judaism than me so i felt really comfortable um i you know i did when i did a lot of research you know i mean i've of course have had passover seders but um my seder my way is very different than the seder that you want to present to the public too and you want to have because there are you know there's a continuum of of practice in judaism for people who are more religious i'm I'm a reformed jew more religious you want to have the religion be that where they want to read it to their kids right, right. so they can see themselves so even within that you know i i know i've heard heard you say on your podcast. And of course, I've heard about this, too. I can't remember the person who said it windows and mirrors. You know, there's mm-hmm. the, the windows and mirrors of of this, too, because, you know, just like anything, there's a spectrum of of practice of religious practice in Judaism. So, you know, I wanted that there. So there's that later layer. And then there's a humor layer. Yeah, there's a lot going on in in it. And it I hope it seems simple when you read it. But there was a lot of thinking behind it.
0: There is. And yeah, I uh, so Dr. Rudine Sims Bishop is the professor emeritus uh, for I believe from Ohio University and coined the term mirrors, windows and sliding doors. Mm-hmm. And what I really and I really try to live by it and appreciate so much this concept because I think the book takes an op- presents an opportunity for anyone to be able to pick it up and learn. And to appreciate and enjoy, I think there, are, as you mentioned, there are so many layers. And and to to kind of give a little context to the audience, it essentially Frankenstein's matzah follows a main character named V who wants to be, who aspires to be, right, a Nobel Prize winning Jewish (laughs) non-binary scientist and has this science experiment in mind. And so this is where the story begins. And so I think on multiple levels, this text opens opportunities for some wonderful
1: conversation. Yeah, and I feel like the Passover story was a really good fit it melded very well, because at the point in the Seder, there's a point where there are the four questions. And V is thinking like, I have a lot of questions too. You know, Pharaoh wanted us what we were slaves under Pharaoh. And can I, you know, can I own something that's alive? And there are all these ethical questions that V has to think about, and, and figure out, you know, the answers to it. So I felt like it aligned very well and, and it worked. And I, and uh, yeah, and, and V wants to win the science fair. So, you know, that's, that's part of the, the final spread.
0: Yes, absolutely. So the four questions re- refers to ma- Manishtana. Mm-hmm. And the first one is, why is this night different from all <laughs> the other nights, right? So and that was my favorite as a child. And you know, the, the youngest one, right, gets mm-hmm. to ask the questions. right? And I I was always hoping, it's so weird, because I was really shy, but I always wanted to be the youngest at the table <laughs> to have that honor. And I don't know why, it's so funny, but it, it was an honor, right, to be able right. to... to to recite the questions,
1: but. And um... I don't think this will be spoiling too much, but um, V's experiment succeeds. And (laughs) these, one of these questions was, why is this experiment different than all the other experiments? Yes. So V had to figure out what was going on. And and one of the little uh, Easter eggs in it is V failed um, 1,817 times and was <laughs> successful on the 1818th time so it's 1818 double high <laughs> yes oh I didn't my gosh I didn't make that connection
0: oh you know
1: you see these are the things that crack me up so <laughs> yes
0: that's so funny and I, I love that there's a cat involved. So I always, I, we have two adopted cats and I think children love that the, the, when there's like an animal sidekick, right? Mm-hmm. And it reminded me of, I think there's a cat sidekick in Hair Love, which is one of my favorite books. Yeah. So I could even see t- doing comparative, like, bu- you know, reading different children's books to talk about like the animal sidekicks that help out the main character, right? Mm-hmm. My mind just goes into like, how would I teach
1: this, right? And, and Eggs the Cat was a later edition after oh. um I w- went through revisions with my editor, who was really quite incredible. And oh. we had to like work on the pacing. And I'm not really sure how, ha- why, like where I came up with adding the, but, but I have two cats, so, you know, ah. it's kind of natural, but Egg's name evolved because our next door neighbor has a dog named Figs, and oh. I, that's such a cute name, and I was like, Figs, Figs, well, Egg's, it's Passover, and that's how I came up with the eggs, and then that leads into that. Very funny joke, if I might say so myself, where the matzah is on eggs and the, and pops, the grandfather looks and says, hmm, that reminds me of matzah brai, matzah on (laughs) eggs. Yes. I love it.
0: I love it. Good old matzah brai. That'll keep you full for a while. (laughs) I, you know, it truly is an enjoyable book. And so, you know, I, I'm actually getting back into writing and, and I, yes, I'm, I've started a a January journal prompt today on my Instagram. I'll link that in the show notes too, just to get, I think sharing, sharing the love and trying to get back into a writing journaling January is what I'm calling it. Right. What is your writing routine like?
1: Oh, that's a big question. I I, know. (laughs) I don't have a set time that I write. Actually, that's a little not true. So drafting is very different than revising. And generally when I revise, I I need a block of time, like an hour or two. I need a very clear table. I need everything (laughs) very organized. And I generally do that in like the afternoon creative writing drafting, my like I call my zero first draft, my zero draft rather. a lot of times it's in the morning or you know I'll take walks. I'm always thinking about my projects and I and I consider that writing time because a lot of times I'll be tweaking a sentence or words or you know, thinking about how I want to, you know work a paragraph or you know, So I'm really like always thinking about writing. There are a lot of things to do in the day. And I've, you know, I've found that I can't say I'm going to write from two to four every day because I have other things that I am responsible for. So if something needs to be done, I have to do it. So I try not to beat myself like that. I try to be very kind to myself. And what I've started, what I started on Monday was I always have a very long to do list and and sometimes even if I get through my to do list, I feel unsatisfied that I didn't get to the thing that I really wanted to do. So I've decided on picking one thing a day that is like a must do. I must do this by the end of the day, and I've found so far this week that it's working for me. <laughs> we'll see about. <laughs> I like the idea of a must
0: do Like sometimes you need to just like put a line in the sand and say, this is it. It's happening.
1: Like that'll make me feel satisfied that I used my time the way I wanted to. Right. So, so yeah. So, you know, you have to find what works for you. And I know, I remember that how I got to that. I was, I was listening to a writer. I wish I could remember who it was. And they said, they realized like they worked seasonally and in the summer they didn't write at all. But in the fall, they had a very busy fall winter. And I was like, wow, you can do that. You know, <laughs> you know. I know Stephen King has a writing practice that is very, yes job it's like a job and maybe that's why he's so prolific (laughs) yes (laughs) not but you know you have to find what works for you and if and writing is maybe if writing was my full-time job that's the only thing I did in my life I could have it more regimented you know I just have to find what works for me and and sometimes I'm you know sometimes I'll write for three days in a row all day each day but then Mm -hmm. for the next five, I won't because you, right. know, you have to fill you your well. Right.
0: I love that. You do have to fill your well. And I learned that the hard way. I feel, feel like my well was very empty, especially at the end of, of, you know, a very hard doctoral process of seven and a half years. Oh. And I'm still, I feel like I'm still I was burnt out, but I, yeah, I was, and I'm still like in the process of refilling it because it was it was so tenuous and difficult. But you accomplished writing a book, and so many people say, "I'm gonna write a book, I'm gonna write a book, I'm gonna write a book," and don't. So, do you have words of advice for someone to take that step and go for it? What do you? Where should someone start? What are your words of wisdom? You did it.
1: Thank you. Yeah. So I had a couple of years where I didn't, I was writing, I wrote actually two middle grade novels. And I was like, I'm the most amazing writer in the world. And then I went to some class and I was like, not the most amazing writer in the world. So I realized then that, you know, even though I was a reader, being a writer is... There, there's a lot more to being a writer than just being a reader. You know, there's structure, there, there are things happening in a book that I was enjoying while I was reading, but I wasn't um, deconstructing. I wasn't reading like a writer um, at that point. And so after those couple of years, and and just an aside, I started writing because my daughter at the time was seven years old and really the only books that we had found were like all of a kind family and like with Jewish characters. And I was like, I'm going to write her a book. And so I did. And which was like, I, I was pretty amazed that I actually did it. Like I, I, it was, it was really great. And I was very proud of myself because, you know, you have to, you have to just keep going. And so then what I did was I started researching cl- writing classes and I found an organization called SCBWI, which is the Society of Children's Book Writers and Illustrators. They're a global organization. And I joined and I started taking classes. And, you know, at, at the time that I joined, there weren't as many opportunities for classes for writers as there are now. There's There are so many great um, offerings and uh, one of... Um, ones that i take a lot of classes at um is called the writing barn and they're um it's run by bethany Hecatus, and they're out of austin texas but you know the pandemic was there was a silver lining because everything went online so now all of these writing classes you know i have access to global classes around the world i've taken classes from SCBWI in Alaska. I took a class from France. So, you know, there's just all this opportunity now. And I've been a member of the organization for over 10 years. And now I'm the assistant regional advisor for SCBWI Westchester, our region. So I'm very involved. I think it's a great organization. It's really, I think, one of the only of its kind. um, Yeah writers i do find that for beginning writers it's fantastic and then when you get to a certain point i mean i actually i i just signed up for a class how to plot mysteries but there there i feel like it's it's a very strong organizations for people who want who are beginning and aren't quite sure what to where to go there's a lot of direction so i and i think really the advice that i would give is just keep writing keep going. The people that I've seen that I've gotten their books published are people who haven't given up. You know what? Every day you start, that's the day you didn't quit. I and, love that. Yeah. And I've, I've taken, you know, I've taken time off in my writing too. I took a year off because I just wasn't sure. I w- it wasn't feeling good. I wasn't in a good headspace. I just, and I was like, you know what? No one's forcing me to do this. I can take my time off. And, and I did, and I found my way back in through writing prompts, journaling, following my heart, you know? So it's, it's really the hardest thing to do. I think I know for me has been to guide myself in that way. It's just me. And at the end of the day, I have to be accountable to me and how do I want to feel? And, you know, I've made myself feel bad at, in my life. And, you know, I'm at the point in my life now where I want to feel good and keeping going is feeling good. Just keep going. Don't give up. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And I think you bring up a really good point. I I took a year off after I defended and now I'm back in looking at my data and ready to produce Right. something that will hopefully be helpful for teachers. So, but I, I need it to take a little time off and regenerate my batteries. Right. And, and now I'm ready to look at it. Also sometimes taking a step away, gives you more perspective, mm-hmm. a fresh set of eyes.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's what they say, you know, when you're writing a story, put it away for six months. You know, so many times I've done that and I've come back and I'm like, I wrote this. (laughs) I don't even remember writing this. This came from me. So, and and I just read this article about, it was about recuperating and recovery Mm. time and how people don't take as much time as maybe they should. And like in England, they had, you know, back in the old days, they had these like recuperating, you know like hotels and all this stuff about, you know, rest and, and you have to, you know, go like, as my daughter says, go to the sea. And, (laughs) and I think that, you know, we, we live in such a go, go, go world. Yes. I think, you know, giving yourself permission to step away and take time off is maybe not the norm, but is something that is a really, really healthy thing for you to be able to do for yourself.
0: Absolutely. (laughs) Couldn't agree more. And I think that's a perfect note to end on. And I just want to thank you so much, Kimberly Marcus. I am so excited for your book to to launch. It's just happening in a few weeks. Um, And um, just, just so honored that you joined us today. So thank you so much.
1: Thank you very much. I appreciate this.
0: Thanks so much for listening to the Literacy Landscapes podcast. Don't forget to subscribe. Thanks so much to my son, Max, and his amazing teacher, James, for the theme song you're listening to today. Be well. Bye.